What an incredible group of actors. That was awesome. That was awesome. You know, that's what hypocrite means. It's an actor, right? So I won't call you hypocrites. No, that was awesome. You do love one another. Why? Because we love one another here. That's why we come together. It's just an opportunity to love people, and, and uh, it's incredible. So I'm going to start this morning. We still got some feedback. I don't know. Do you guys hear that? Is that just me? We're getting some, some uh, background noise there for some reason. There we go. Better, better. Almost. Getting there. Here we come. All right. So as you'll remember... Well, last week we talked about older brother, younger brother, and if you weren't here for that, I would encourage you to go back and, and get that. We're still getting a lot of static there. I don't know what that is here. We'll get this figured out in a minute. And uh, just that hiss. Should I try uh, something else, or what do you guys want to do? It's, it's pretty hissy out there, isn't it? Hey, if you're, if you're new, this is fans, what families do. Is it somebody's hissing and somebody else is upset about that, so... So, uh, getting close, getting a little closer, almost there. Just got a just got a hiss up there somewhere and through the system. So uh, I may. Do you want me to use this other? All right, let's let's try this. Let's try this. All right, we're gonna go from that. It may not work, but we're gonna see if it works. Okay, come off with this one here. Let's see here. Is that better? Oh, that is a lot better. Yeah, we got a we had a we had a significant issue. So I will be. Holding a microphone here today, so a couple of weeks ago, well, last week we talked about older brother, younger brother, but two weeks ago, I had uh, quite an issue because I think I was somewhat of an older brother. Now, why was I an older brother? Because I had taken to task, if you'll remember, well, why don't we do this? Rather than me taking, taking you back, let me just take you back. Let's, we'll go ahead and roll that clip. And I was coming up Washington. And uh, crossing the street were two of our congregants, and uh, very involved congregants. And I guess they probably just got back, and uh, but they weren't dressed for church. And uh, so they were walking by, and I thought, I can either stick my head out the car window and yell. I can honk, or I can just pick up, because I see he has his phone. I'm going to see if he picks up his phone. He has his phone. I call him. He's like, I'm not picking up the phone. So I left him this scathing rebuke. You're back in the desert, and now you, you've decided not to come to church this morning. I, anyway, I told them I love them. So anyway, I won't mention any names, Craig and Sue Bryant, but, but uh, if you happen to see them, if you happen to see them, I'm like, well, maybe they're just going to be a little late, or I don't know. Anyway, so uh, don't let me see you crossing the street. So go incognito if you decide not to come one day, because your pastor may just be crossing the intersection you're crossing. So... All right, so maybe a little older brother activity there to get us started that morning. So anyway, I got home, and, and uh, well, even before I got home, I, I looked out into the audience, and I saw a number of you already texting. I knew exactly what was happening. You were texting the Bryants that Jeff is taking you to task and, and to, open our con uh, to open the service. And uh, by the time I got home, Craig had a long litany of things that he had to tell me about this. And so, you know what? I said, I'm going to give you a time for rebuttal. So, Craig Bryant, would you please come up here? Craig Bryant's going to come up with a little rebuttal on why he didn't come to church two weeks ago. And wh what possible reason could he be going to Starbucks, crossing the intersection right in front of his pastor, dressed like a jogger? And uh, so, anyway, I see you have something with you. So, uh, anyway, your moment for rebuttal. 
Mr. Craig Bryant. You know, speaking of static, you're digging a deeper hole for yourself <laughs> right now. This was clear. This was clearly, unmistakably, a case of misidentification. <laughs> Completely. There is no question about that. It could have something to do with eyesight, it could have something to do with age. But however, whomever those two people were, let's just say for a moment that they were having a, a pig pen moment. You know that little character that walks around with a black cloud above his head? That could have been. Or it could have been that those mistaken people had just flown in on a direct flight from the Midwest that only took two days to get here. <laughs> it further could have been that when they got home, they found out that their house was flooded. So they thought, well, that's not a good thing, but at least we have a car. We can go down and get, because uh, you know we didn't have clothes at that point in time. So I went out to start the car, but the battery was dead. So that didn't work, but we have another car. So Sue came in and she said, guess what, the battery's dead on that too. So I went in to call the towing company to come out and have him start the car. And as I reached for the screen door, it fell off. <laughs> so that, the cloud thing, the cloud thing is the remarks, the pastor, all of this boils up and it just, it's just a harmful, very harmful thing. So. <laughs> I want to go back, and it's not about me anymore. It's about our pastor, Jack. <laughs> so I brought something for our pastor to help him along here. Jeff, as, as we age, you don't have to get that close. As we, <laughs> as we age, we start to lose our, ice, our eyesight a little bit. And once you've really lost your eyesight, then you get yourself a cane with red on the base of it. Now, what I have here is a starter kit. This is a, it's a small cane. And on, the way that this one's used is if you think you've mistaken somebody's identity, you don't really go up to them, just kind of wave it this way, and they will understand that something is wrong. So take that. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank now, you. Appreciate that. as you progress further along, because you'll get a little older, then I brought you another cane. This is dual purpose. It's a longer cane, so you don't have to get as close. And they'll still know. Thank you, thank you. You're welcome. And then lastly, I want you to know that I'm working on the third and ultimate cane. That is a full-fledged wooden cane, not only with a painted red stripe on the bottom, but also a horn. So <laughs> the reason for the horn is that if it, I'm done. <laughs> There are two things to be learned. There are two things to be learned. First of all, be very cautious about uh, condemning uh, another congregant, uh, number one. And number two, if you have an excuse like that, you are pardoned. I pardon you, I pardon you, I pardon you, I pardon you. Okay, let's pray. Craig, that was awesome. We love Craig and Sue. Um, yes. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this morning. We said last week, uh, Lord, if we, if we have a church that's not driven by the older brother spirit, uh, we're going to have a good time together because you give life and life more abundantly. Not just a lot of theological suppositions about life, and of course that is in part of what we do, 
But Lord, we do life together. And we, we, as we'll see in this parable this morning, Lord, these relationships, these precious relationships, cross-generational relationships, my kids, my grandson now, uh, all, all the way up to people as old as Craig, Lord Jesus, we, we will be friends for all of eternity according to what you said about reality. So help drive this truth into our souls so deeply. It will change the way we see one another. And it'll, it'll give us more care and, and precision in the relationships that we do have here on earth. So Lord, be with us. Open your word to us. You are a gracious and loving God, and you are a fun beautiful God. Help us see that this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Brother Craig. All right. So I'm, I'm calling this morning the shrewd manager. It is uh, an enigmatic parable. It's puzzling. But if we are going to be assiduous followers of students of Jesus' teaching, there is no way, there is no way we cannot dive into these parables dig around in these parables, mull them over in our minds. Some of you maybe have been thinking about this parable for years, wondering what it means, thinking about the implications of this parable. Others will hear this parable and imagine that it is just another morality tale of some sort. You do realize that most of your people on the streets, if you were to say, hold out a Bible, what would they say? It's a morality fable. It gives you an insight all religions are essentially the same because they just have maybe a slight different take on God and his moral principles. I hope last week you saw that although the Bible does give us clarity about what righteousness looks like, it is not a morality tale. It is a God tale. It is God in his lavish graciousness reaching down to us, the prodigality of God the fact that God is so extravagant in his love for us, our response can only be worship. Our response can only be, well, in this case now, the second Jesus goes on to teach about stewardship. See, if you want to respond to God, you will steward your life in such a way that's compatible with your understanding of the gospel. Let me say that again. You will steward your life in direct correlation to the understanding that you have of the gospel. If you don't even think about stewarding your life for the glory of God and for the magnificence, then you have a very cursory understanding of the gospel. It, the, the more intentional you are, and this is a parable about intentionality, the more intentional you are about every aspect, every corridor of your life, and does it bring glory to Jesus, it, it is directly correspondent with your now deeper understanding of the gospel. Does that make sense? So remember last week we looked at the older brother and the elder brother, uh, the younger brother. The younger brother is what everybody thinks of when they think of the prodigal son. It's the guy in the pie, big sty and he comes back. But as I said last week, I really believe this is much more and was directed more at the older brothers who are in that case the moral police of the day. And so remember, Jesus absolutely upended all categories. Most people think there's the, the, the ones out there living for their own uh, self-actualization, to quote, you know, the, uh, Maslow. But, and, and then there's the others. Those are kind of the uh, avant-garde, if you remember, kind of the bohemian lifestyle. I'm just going to do what I'm going to do, and whatever comes is going to come. 
And then you have the kind of the moral police, the older, you know, the people who sit around and they, they can become condescending, they can become judgmental, but neither one has a relationship with the Father. Jesus upended both of those. Remember, it's not a continuum, younger brother to older brother. Somewhere along that continuum, we find ourselves. No, it is a complete upending of both paradigms and putting us into a place of adoration for the creator of the universe. That's what I, that's what, again, I said that last week, I'll say it again. That is my task every single week to put you in a place of adoration, not of just trying to clean up your life, although you will if you're an adoring person of Jesus, your life will just, you'll just start to find yourself being cleaner. Your thoughts will be cleaner. Your desires will be cleaner. It, out of adoration comes really purity of action, but it doesn't precede adoration. Then you're just an older brother, and then you're just trying to do well, do right, because you have to do right, because the almighty smiter up in the heavens is going to smite you one day if you don't do right. And that feeling is never, how can we say we have a personal relationship with the almighty smiter? I've never heard that. I've never heard anybody say, I have a personal relationship, a deep and abiding relationship with the almighty smiter who lives high in the heavens, who's untouchable, you have a relationship with someone that you love. And neither son loved their father. One took him to open shame by leaving and asking for his inheritance, and the other did the exact same thing, although he was doing everything. He obligated the father to himself through his moral action, which was bizarre, which was bizarre. And as a result, he wouldn't even come up and, again, put his father to open disgrace by not coming to the party. Well, you owe me. You owe me, and that brother of mine. So that's what we looked at last week. It transitions now into a unique parable, often called the unrighteous steward. I just, I, I just said, let's call this the shrewd manager because this is not an admonition for unrighteousness, as we'll see, but it's an admonition to be shrewd. Are you intentional in every detail of your life to give your all to steward your life in such a way that will advance the kingdom of God and the glory of Jesus because you are increasingly loving and understanding the depth of the gospel. Pure grace. Okay, Luke chapter 16, 1 through 14. Now he was saying to his disciples, he was also, actually it says, we're also saying to his disciples. That's very important. He was also saying to his disciples, there was a rich guy who had a manager, and this manager was reported to him as squandering his possessions. I know we have a lot of managers out there or former managers, and it's not great. You hear about it every day. Go, go on TV, watch American Greed, or watch anything, and you will find uh, a litany of unrighteous managers squandering the possessions of the shareholders, of the, you know, whatever it is. You're just going to find corruption. Anytime there's money, anytime somebody has oversight over things, you'll find that somehow, some way, they will have squandered it for, for others. Bernie Madoff squandered the millions and hundreds of millions of dollars for those folks. He called him and said to him, what is this that I hear about you? Give an accounting of your management for you can no longer be a manager. The manager said to himself, now this is going on in his head, so how are you gonna respond to this? Immediately, it's been reported to me, and immediately these, this cog in his brain begins, this little wheel begins to turn. And what does he say to himself? What am I gonna do? My master's taking the management away from me. I'm not. Well, I'm not strong enough to dig. 
I'm ashamed to beg. Uh, hey, hey, I've got an idea. This is all going on in his head. I know what I'm going to do. So that when I am removed from the management, people will welcome me, welcome me into their homes. He is thinking ahead. He's thinking ahead. Immediately, he's like, oh, my gosh, what am I going to do? I've got to make from some friends. Now, how best to manage how best to manage these friendships? I'm going to go in, and I, and now this is a horrible thing to do. He has no right to do this, but he has a position still. He's not official yet. At least the folks don't know. The friends uh, of this manager don't know yet, or the, the, those who have business dealings don't know yet. He's still got some position. He's got a little bit of power left. Now, what's he going to do with it? He says, well, in, in verse 5, and he says, he summoned each one of his master's debtors, and he began to say to the first, how much do, uh, well, how much do you owe my master? And he said, 100 measures of oil. And he said, well, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take your bill. I want you to sit down quickly and write 50. Any math wizards out there? It's about 50%. So he was going to be able to settle his account for 50% of what he really owed. And then he said to another, how much do you owe? And he said, well, I 100 measures of wheat. And he said, take your bill and write 80. Not quite as good a deal, but it's still a pretty good deal. And his master praised the unrighteous manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the sons of this age are more shrewd in relation to their own kind than the sons of light. And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by the means of the wealth of unrighteousness, so that if it fails, no, when it fails, let me say that again, when it fails, that doesn't mean when the market turns, when you have a bad investment, no, 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 when it fails is when you breathe your last. It never, I've thought about this, I, I, I've known and loosely known a number, just because of where I've lived, Aspen and here, and these are the two kind of haunts that we've had for the last, you know, 25, 30 years. Lord, I've been married 30 years coming up this summer, and we have had the privilege to be around a lot of very wealthy people, And but you get to the billionaire category, and it's kind of a whole other thing, and you take on an identity, right? I mean, you really do. An identity emerges around your money. When you think, when I say Jeff Bezos, the immediate thing that you'll think of is, oh, that guy's got a lot of money. That guy's got a yacht that will not. That is the most ridiculous yacht I've ever seen. He could probably afford 10 of those yachts. I mean, hundreds of millions of dollars for a yacht. And immediately, you begin to identify. And I had a, Lauren, I have a very, very close friend. I, I will say this. I'm just not, I'm, I'm not going to say any names. Literally not going to say any names. But he was a multi-billionaire, multi-billionaire. And he passed away a few years ago in his 90s. Multi-billionaire. And in that moment, in that moment, when he breathed his last immediately he was worth, he was worth zero, zero. Everything I'm sure was, I'm sure he had all kinds of trust set up and everything just automatically in that moment, as soon as that death certificate, right, just last breath, he owned nothing. It failed. At that moment, it failed. Zero. It's over. Everything in that failed. I think it is impossible to remove ourselves from the idea that somehow we'll get to heaven and we'll be somewhere. Oh, there's you know, there's Tom Brady. Oh my gosh, there's you know Elon Musk. Oh, there's Bill Gates. You know, there's there's. No, we won't. It'll be a complete reversal of the way we think about money. It, that you don't you don't go. You've heard all the jokes. I could tell you the jokes. You know, the guy stuffing his 
bags full of gold and he gets up there and you know he opens it up and he actually I finally was able to take it with me and that's not very impressive and he looks around and all the streets were paved with gold and he goes oh it's not that valuable I mean you've heard all those jokes you can't take it with you and the guy trying to pull the you know the old uh, rent, a, rent a trailer behind him going to heaven I mean you, we all know that that's obvious but is it obvious in the way we think about life is it that obvious? Well, it's obvious, but it's kind of not ingrained in our, it fails. It's over. You don't, you don't go in as CEO of XYZ company. You don't go in with portfolio value X, you know. You don't go in, you also don't go in as homeless. You don't go, you go in with exactly what Jesus is trying to get to the core of. You go in with what you've, well, what, with what you've sent ahead. And I'm not just talking about money here. I'm talking about everything. Friends, you go in with friends. Jesus is, Jesus is saying this, but people don't get it. They don't think in these terms. It is too revolutionary to think in these terms. And Jesus is not admonishing his unrighteousness. He's admonishing this guy. He's telling this parable because he said, the way that works in the world, people are thinking ahead. When it fails, when I can't work anymore, when I, there's nothing to me more sad than going in and seeing someone who should be, you know, enjoying some rest in their lives, uh, you know, a time of well beyond retirement, and you see them occasionally, and they are there maybe working fast food, and you know it's backbreaking when you're a teenager. It's unimaginable when you're well beyond retirement age to be working fast food or to be pushing cards through and trying to gather up the cards out in the Walmart parking lot or something, and you just think, oh my gosh, you just, it's so hard to imagine, and we have to, we have to think about what is going to happen beyond not just retirement, but what is going to happen when you die? What will you take with you? You can't take anything with you. Not according to Jesus. People are so shrewd down here. In a secular temporal sense, we're very shrewd about thinking beyond retirement. We don't want to be in Walmart's parking lot. We want to be able to get up and have a cup of coffee and like all the little, it's so amazing. Drive from LA or wherever and you're driving in, you just see, you see billboard after billboard after billboard into Palm Springs. You don't see this going into a college town, but you do coming into Palm Springs about, you know, gr gracefully grained people sitting by a pool with a little umbrella in their drink as if that's what, you know, but people are thinking about that. Jesus is saying, think beyond it. When it actually fails, when it's over, the moment, my friend, a multi-billionaire breathed his last, everything transferred at that moment, and he was worth zero in a temporal sense. How much time did he invest in thinking about beyond the last breath? That's our challenge. It's so hard to do. I want you, we're going to come back to verse 10 in a minute, and we're going to look at the end of that, but it is a bizarre parable. Again, if you try to look at this parable as a way to reach righteousness or morality in a moral sense, it won't make any sense. People have such a hard time reading the Bible because they think it's a morality tale. They can't even get through the first part of the Old Testament 
God's, you know, people killing people and, you know, it's genocide and this. And I just, I can't read that. How is that a morality tale? It's not a morality tale. It's giving us deep, profound insight into the reality of what it means to be a created being living in, the, in God's world. And nothing in this world will help you understand that. I hope you get that. Paul said this in his letter to the Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 2. Listen to what he says. Many will know this well. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the, just the natural course of this world. You don't have to ask anybody. You don't have to, people would rather have money than not have money. People would rather, I mean, we just, there's a world, there's a world, a temporal world out there that you learn sometimes by the school of hard knocks. You learn how to navigate this stuff and work through this and try to figure out how the world works before you, you know, you find yourself on the streets or how to, you know, what is it like? How do you pay your taxes? I don't know. How do you, how do you make enough money to save a little bit? I mean, you know, just on and on and on. It's just a natural course of this world. And he said, you were just dead. Spiritually speaking, you were dead. I don't care how successful you were or what a failure you might have considered yourself. You were dead spiritually spiritually, because you just walked according to the natural course. Well, you just walk like everybody else walked. You're seeking what everybody else seeks, security, have, try to have a little fun, try to get out of the monotony of life and the boredom and the tediousness, the tedious nature of what life often throws our way. Try to get to some ineffable place where you can just finally just something transcendent, something glorious, something hard to describe. You want that, but you don't know how to get there. So it might be drugs, it might be materialism, it might be another trip, another house you buy. It might be some of that, but at some point, it's just the way everybody walks. You don't have to teach people to walk according to what just seems natural. It just is natural. But he goes on to say, <clears throat> according to the prince of the power of the air, there's an atmosphere that Satan, the little g, I always say little g, the god of this world. The Bible says Satan is the god of this world, and he dominates our ways of thinking, and Jesus comes in and cracks all of that and exposes it to light, and you either believe it or you don't believe it. I don't know how to be more simplistic than that. You're either going to believe into what Jesus says and you're going to become a devoted follower of his teaching and try to walk into that or you're going to, you can play the religious thing. You can kind of stay away and say, oh yeah, Jesus, that's all good, but then go back to the natural course of this world and not even think deeply about his parables. What is that? Is that real faith? I, I, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not here to judge anybody. I'm here to encourage us as a, as a family to think in Jesus' terms, and it's so hard to do because, well, the natural course is so dominant in our heads. It takes a shattering of all old paradigms. He says, and the spirit which is now working in the sons of disobedience, among them too, we all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh. What does that mean? Just what we were after, what we were going after. Indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But verse 4, but God. Here we have that, the prodigality of God again, but God. Here we are just seeking our own, you know, we're living in the pigsty or whatever. We're just having a blast out there until, well, until we got to pay what's due, and then we may find ourselves, we may come to our senses. That's all really coming to Jesus is. You just finally come to your senses. 
I was leading a Lynx Fellowship this last week, and he, he said, I always ask people, why don't you come to our little fellowship group the next morning? And, you know, well, why, why would you do that? And he says, his answer was kind of simple and almost staggered. I've been thinking about it for two days. He says, well, why wouldn't you? I said, what a great response to come into a little fellowship group. Well, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you want to do your due diligence? If there's a God and he revealed himself, why, why wouldn't you do that? I'm not into that kind of thing. Well, then you don't believe there's a God. That's all, that's all there is to it. It's just you already eradicated that notion from your mind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us. Again, the prodigality of God. When we were dead in our transgressions, we were spiritually dead, he made us alive. Together with Christ. Jesus is trying to help us see reality behind the, behind the veil of this obscure little natural course that we're running, which is temporal, which is moment by moment. It's driven by passion and emotion and oftentimes a lack of understanding, a lack of wisdom. It leads us down some roads that, well, we wish we could, well, sometimes we feel like we could never get out of them. Well, guess what? Jesus is here to show us the way, first in himself by opening our mind through the Spirit and then allowing us, if we'll be discipled, to walk into the reality of, of what is real. So Jesus was essentially addressing three points here. First, he was addressing position in life. How am I going to be shrewd? What, what's he commending here? He's commending, okay, Jeff, what do you have in life? What, in, what is your position in life? And also, I think position also equates with locality. In other words, I wasn't born in the 15th century. I was born in the 20th century. And now I'm living in the 21st century. And I'm living in America. And I'm living, I'm positioned in a particular way that's unique to a lot of other, if you look at the, there are 8 billion. Did you read that this week? Now there are 8 billion people living on the planet. It's not always been that way, right? That's a lot of folks. But living 200 years ago looked very different. Not only would right here look very different 200 years ago. I mean, it just like that. And so I, I've been put in a unique place. And as a result of my position, I've also been given a locality. So I think about those things. He also talked about the, the temporal nature of our possessions, what we think we own. Again, my friend thought... And he did, for a long time, own and had access to private jets and homes and every possible thing you can think of. Gave tens of millions of dollars away, but just had, in a moment, he had nothing. It failed in that moment of the last breath. It didn't last forever. What are you going to do with it now? What are you going to do with your possessions now? Jesus is saying, this unrighteous steward's thinking about these things. What's going to happen when this fails? I better make some friends for myself now. Before my position is known by the community to be taken away. Equate that with your death. What are you going to do with your possessions now? And then lastly, what are you going to do with the power that you have? What do I mean by power? Any kind of authority that you have. Any kind of authority. Any kind of where you come to a table and you have a say in something. doesn't mean that you're the head of a corporation or, of course, that's power. But somehow, some way, you have various, if you're a mother, you have power. You have children. If you're, or, or grandchildren, there's a certain level of 
position that also gives you a certain level of power, but they're also different. So there's, there's position that I see in this, there's possessions, and there's, and there's power. Are you intentional about all three? Many of you are. We, I, I'm telling you right now, if there wasn't an intentionality in the hearts and the minds of many at Church of the Red Door, we would have folded during COVID. There were some staggering gifts of generosity that just kept us going that many of you will never know about because someone gave. Now, was this because they were nice? I would like to think it was because they were kind and adoring Jesus and wanted to make sure the Church of the Red Door continued. But I also want to, in a commensurate way, think that they were also aware of the stewardship of their lives and that somehow in a response to the leading of the Spirit, they they kept us. That's going to have to get us through the building and all the different things of, of how I have no idea how this is all going to happen. But somebody's going to be thinking strategically, thinking at, well, thinking like the unrighteous steward who actually was thinking ahead. Not just what they could get out of it in the moment. They were thinking ahead beyond their last breath. Oftentimes, our position is based on our giftedness, maybe our education, our positions in life. Would you agree with that? Parents that you were born to, the color of your skin. I mean, if you were to go down and say, what are all the, all the things that make up me? If I was to try to describe, where does that give me position? Not just now the where you were born, where you're living. I mean, obviously, it comes down to even the, you know, the United States, the state you live in, maybe, or the city you live in. Even down to the block you live on gives you a certain locality and position that you can either think intentionally about or you cannot think intentionally about at all. Most people just aren't aware of it. They just, they don't think in those terms. And Jesus is trying to, hey, come on now, they're doing it. Unrighteous people. The people of this world are doing this. Think like they think. Think ahead, but don't think just as much as they think ahead. Even think beyond when it fails. When it fails. Think about it. So we know that it's what we do. What about your neighborhood? Just your neighborhood. I know that uh, our friends, the SEALs, are back. I see them, and Judy's been working on uh, Kay Edwards' past, finally. She was part of Church of the Red Door, and she was part of uh, uh, this women's fellowship group over there. And I think I've told you this before, but it's just it's always sticks with me. I think it's such a beautiful thing. I've repeated this so many times. For We have hundreds of links fellowships around the country. But she started something called Streetwalkers for Christ. Streetwalkers for Christ. Well, I, she started it, but whoever started it. And there were a number of ladies that would go up and down their neighborhoods at the club that they lived and pray over each house. And they saw some miracles during that time. Is that fair to say? Saw some pretty cool things happen. Sunrise service started, and then hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people came to that sunrise service. Some of you have attended that sunrise service at various points. Pretty shocking, kind of amazing. While, why? She, they were thinking about their, their position in the neighborhood. Wow, it's kind of shocking. What, what would that be? What about your, your local, local, local coffee shop where you're a patron? I like to repeat myself in various places, not only because I am an old man and I just get into my patterns, which is true, because I order the exact same thing, the exact same restaurant, and I even like to have the same waitress or wait, waiter, depending on where I am, and I, you get to know them. That's a, that's a position that I have. 
Well, I think shrewdly about it. Is that someone I go, well, this, you know, this toast is not done like I like it. This is not Texas toast. This is California toast. I hate California toast. I want some Texas toast. No, if I was thinking shrewdly about that relationship, this might be someone that I could get to know, have an impact on their lives, and they might, they might, through whatever fractional impact I might have in their life, I might see them in the eternal realm and would I be invited into their house? That's what Jesus is saying. Spend your money, as we'll see in the next part of this, spend your money down here so that you will one day be invited into eternal dwellings. Even being going to the same old coffee shop. My daughter Tess works at a coffee shop down in Old Town, and she'll probably tell you it's, there's about maybe, I don't know, I guess 60, 70% of the, this is the exact same people. They order the exact same thing. They come at the exact same time. They read the same newspaper every day. They sit in the same seat. And that, that's something. And they could get to know Tess. And they could have an impact on my daughter. Or my daughter, because of her position, could have an impact reciprocally on them. That's this, it's not more complicated than that. Again, a mother, a father, a grandmother, a grandmother, a friend, a neighbor, someone you play pickleball with. <laughs> and obviously, your business, your business relationships, your employer, employee. You know, I was speaking to a man the other day, and he, he said, I was absolutely shocked after all the years and all the depth of friendship that I thought I had. He had a very high position in a company. And he said, uh, and then I decided to retire, and I don't keep in touch with anybody, and nobody keeps in touch with me. And it kind of shattered his whole feeling of what friends were. I will tell you that if those friends go deeper and you lose and you had position and used it shrewdly, if, if you lead somebody to Jesus, they're not, you're not just going to fall off their radar. Think, think about it. That's all Jesus is saying. Think about it. I'm not advocating that you're an unrighteous steward. He was devious. He was manipulative and everything else, but he was thinking ahead. He was thinking ahead. Remember what para parabolic teaching does. It gives us it, it trains us to rethink the way we think about normal activities of our day. Think about it. What will your positions do? I have a friend that works for Lynx. Uh, he's a special friend. It's a very strange situation for me because he was a very close friend of my brother who's two years younger than I am. And uh, he used to come over and spend the night. His name is Boo. <laughs> I mean, he's it's just Boo, and I love Boo, and now he works with us at Lynx, and, but he still does a lot of things on the side. He's, a, he's, a, he works, he's in Texas, but he's now, he's an actor as well, and so I haven't watched it, but I know it's pretty popular, this thing called Yellowstone. Uh, the Yellowstones are very popular, and some of my friends in Montana said, that's not how we talk in Montana, but I asked Boo about it, and he just got a call. He got a call from Costner, and he's been, he's, he's been flying to Montana and back, and he's in this upcoming, he's one of the actors on Yellowstone. And uh, he was in Hollywood for about 15 years and then moved back to San Antonio. And, and again, he's leading uh, some Lynx fellowships, and he's awesome. I mean, he's such a good men's fellowship leader uh, at these, a lot of these clubs. He's so good. He's so good. So I called Boo this week. I said, Boo, here's what I want you to do. I want you to just talk a little bit about how you thought strategically about using your position in Hollywood and continue to think about it because that's what we're going to talk about. So let's listen to Boo. Good morning, Church of the Red Door. Uh, Jeff asked me to talk a little bit about sharing our faith with friends and family or 
folks at work. And that's a subject I get really excited about. I uh, first started out working with an organization when I was younger called Young Life, where we were trained to, to meet high school kids in their environment, which typically was the high school or football games or events on the weekend. But uh, they called this sort of outreach incarnational evangelism, which essentially is what God has done with us. He became a man, came down to, to the, the world and walked in our shoes, suffered as we did, all in an effort to reach us with God's love. And so Young Life taught us to do that. We would go to the high school. I was at the tennis courts after school. I was at football games on Friday nights, but I moved into their environment and got to know them where they were and showed a, a deep interest in their lives. And in doing so, I was able to share with them how much God loved them through the person of Jesus. And uh, so Jeff may have told you, I also I work in the entertainment industry as an actor, and I've taken that principle of incarnational evangelism uh, into the entertainment industry. And that's, that's the world I work in at times. And so I know actors, I, I understand production and how it works. And I, uh, I've learned to move around in that environment, develop friendships, show an interest in people's lives. And, and my hope is to share with them the impact that uh, God has had on my life through the person of Christ. And so I, I do this in a very simple way. Uh, it's genuine and sincere, but I just typically ask people a lot of questions because I want to know who they are. And actors, in my opinion, are, are pretty interesting people. And so I ask them questions about their you know, kids, family, their work history, and, and people enjoy sh typically sharing who they are and sharing their lives with you. And so that's been my, my strategy uh, in, in the entertainment industry. And I've had some uh, success with that, uh, sharing who I am with people and, and getting to know them. But I'll tell you one, one story in particular. I booked a guest star, a week-long guest star on a, on, a, on a crime series, which is pretty typical for network television, crime series. But uh, when I arrived, I discovered I was working with a really well-known actress. And uh, I was a little bit intimidated uh, uh, because she was so well-known. But she and I were married in the storyline and we were, we had actually, we were part of this crime syndicate, which is pretty standard. But uh, throughout the week, she and I uh, sat in our casting chairs and we had, you know, in the entertainment industry, you sit around and wait a lot. But uh, we got into some very long conversations about family and she was telling me about her kids that were in college and some serious concerns she had about some things that they were doing. And and man, I, you know, I worked with kids and we talked a little bit about young life and mentoring. And so I, 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 had, I had a lot of empathy and understanding uh, because I'd seen a lot of parents uh, with, with concern about their, their kids and the decisions they were making. But um, over that week, uh, at some point we got on the topic of forgiveness. And uh, I, I just explained to her that I, I don't know where else you go for forgiveness other than Jesus Christ. Um, I, uh, and, and that had been my, my personal experience, that I needed forgiveness, that I'd made wrong choices, that I'd hurt people in life, and that I found peace and forgiveness in uh, Christ and Christ on the cross, and then actually hope in, in the resurrection. And so I, she listened to me with a little bit of skepticism, I think, but I, I, at one point she paused and she said, so it sounds like Jesus is pretty central to your life. And I said, yes. So she shared some stories about some gurus that she had met with that had tried to give her some spiritual direction. Well, the, the great news in all this is I found out a couple of years later that this particular actress was attending a church off the 101 in LA. And I was so encouraged by that, not, not necessarily because I had some great impact, but that God had been working on her 
and possibly used our conversation that week and other people. But apparently she's come to faith and now she's involved in that particular church community. So um, again, this sort of thing excites me. I'm not a great preacher of the gospel like Jeff is, who's a great, great communicator. I'm not a street corner preacher. That's a little bit intimidating to me, but I, I can get to know people. I can show uh, a genuine interest in their lives, ask questions. And then, you know what? I've got a story too, and it's my story. And if it can help, I'll, I'll share that story with people. But uh, it all comes down to that it's the sort of incarnational evangelism, being with people where they are, sharing your life with them and getting to know uh, them, their stories and their lives. So anyway, that's my my sort of history with sharing the faith. Uh, makes it a little less intimidating. And, uh, you know, people want to hear your story. They want to hear mine. I love getting to know people and relationships. Friendships are really a great value, especially with sincere people. So hopefully that was helpful. Uh, thanks for letting me share and uh, blessings to you guys today. So now this takes us, by the way, we're not going to get to point two this week. We're going to, we're just going to skip to this next week because we don't want to miss. We got to, we got to ring this out. We have to take every drop here. What is Jesus trying to tell me? You know, I've heard that story. Yeah, I know about the story. No, 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 no. Live in it. Dwell in it. Just think deeply about it. What does this mean? What does this mean? Well, we just heard about, we heard about elder brother, younger brother. And I bet, I bet. Now, I'm not going any, to point anybody because I had this kind of reaction a little bit. I was like, well, I've heard Yellowstone has a lot of really bad language in it, and there's some, you know, not such great storylines, and should, you know, should good Christians be in that kind of thing? That sounds more like an elder brother. Should good Christians go down to the pigsty and pull the... Pull? You don't think God positioned Boo in that? I asked him, well, I said, what is Yellowstone anyway? He said, basically, it's just the Godfather's just done in the Rockies. It's the Godfather in the Rockies is basically what it is. And yeah, there's some, there's some stuff, and I love the Godfather, and yet it's got violence, and well, the Bible has all kinds of violence. We have to get over our, we're going to, you know, I see no evil, I hear no evil, I, you know, and there's a little monkeys, you know, I speak no evil, and, and not realize that Jesus was accused of the exact same thing. Look where he is. He couldn't be one of us, because look where he's, look who he's hanging out with. Look at his position creator of the universe. Who's he claiming to be? He's claiming to be God. Who does he think he is? Look who he's hanging out with. Where will God send you? Where has God sent you? What positions has God put you in today that you've never thought shrewdly about? Father, mother, neighbor, friend, coffee shop patron, pickleball partner, People are dead. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked. Now, if you're not dead anymore and you've been made spiritually alive by Jesus, how do you do that? Some people say, well, how do you do that? Listen to the gospel. I love always, I hope you never hear a sermon where you don't hear the, just the foundation of the gospel. Believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. You add a little Acts 2 into that. Repent, just decide to turn around. I'm going to start following him. I don't know what I've been following, you know? been following book I read 20 years ago. I've been following, my, my dad said, you know, we don't talk about religion and politics. And my, my mom used to say, and what have you been living out of? And then all of a sudden you just say, ah, I'm following him. 
Lord, I'm sorry. Jesus, I'm sorry. And then you come and we'll baptize you. I baptized Kay. I just mentioned Kay. Kay and her husband had passed before her. I baptized both of them in the seal's backyard in the hot tub. You're not supposed to do that. Golf pros can't baptize people in hot tubs. It'll never take. <laughs> oh, it took. It took. And it was beautiful to watch. It was beautiful to watch. Where's God positioned you? I want you to think about that right now. Just really, here's what I'm asking you. You got a little homework this week. You're going to ask God every single day, Lord God, show me where you've positioned me that I've never really been as shrewd thinking about as I am now. Every connection, every relationship, I'm salt. And salt keeps meat from going bad. I, I'm in a, there's some bad, stinky stuff in my, around. And, but you've, I think you've put me there. Well, the first thing that many of you may say would simply be, well, I maybe have a little stink on myself. I'm not so sure that I'm so salty. That's a great way to pray. Now, now you say, I don't know how to pray. I, I run out of things to pray for. How about this? Jesus, I'm not as salty as I'd like to be. Even if I was put, and you, I'm not so sure I would even know what to say or how to say it. That's why we come here on Sunday. We learn. Our sermons are long, long sermons. Not very long. I mean, you just can't. Some of you are dying to get out of here. But we become more salty. If, we, if you understand Jesus' parable, you just became more salty today. If you act on it, you'll even be more salty. How are you using your position in life? So are we going to be an elder brother church where we just keep, keep at bay all the forces of darkness? Are we going to be like that? I think it's the army. Or the Marines, I think it's the Marines. You know, bombs are going off. You've probably seen it. Bombs are going off. And it's, it's kind of frightening. You think, oh, it's another one of those video games. And it doesn't turn out to be a, an advertisement for a video game. And then all of a sudden, you kinda, you're moving towards it. Those bombs are going off. And then all of a sudden, you see these guys running by you. And it's the Marines going into the darkness. Are we going to be a church that goes into the darkness? Are we going to come in here and have our little holy huddles? Talk about, isn't it great that we're all great people? It is great that we're all great people in Christ. Are we going to go back, use our position, and be as shrewd? That's what Jesus is trying to do. That's all he's trying to communicate. So next week, we will break this down. We'll look a little bit more about temporal possessions, and we'll talk a little bit, too, about power. What is the power and authority that you have? You say, I don't feel like I have any power and authority. Ah, you might want to rethink that. You might be shocked at the place at the table that you have, you might not be the one that goes into, you know, the 19th hole something after a round or something and can hold court. That's probably going to be the, the richest talkative guy there. But there's some place where you have people, you have their ear. You might find it at Coachella Valley Rescue Mission. You might find it in your neighborhood. You might find it in a, a young mom's group. You might find it as a as a mentor to a, to a disenfranchised young person. You might, I mean, uh, you, you, 
God will give you power, but as we'll see, you've got to be faithful and act on what you have, and he'll keep giving you more. So we're going to close with this worship song called Tend. Tend. It's beautiful. Hope you... I want us to think deeply about Jesus, about his parable, and, and, and say, Lord, I want to be like Boo. I want to, I want to take every... He called it incarnational ministry, right? So I, I, why? Because Jesus did it. And then he goes into that, and he, and by the way, last little closing story. You're, supposed, you're never supposed to not finish like this, but I was asking Boo about, I actually know who this actress was, and obviously he didn't want to share that name, but you would all know who this actress is if you're over 45, 55 years old. So... Uh, but she was on the set, and of course he's he's got he's kind of he's so humble. He's got I'm a nobody, and she's a I couldn't believe I was <laughs> find myself in this. And she t- I don't know why I'm telling you this. I have no idea. This is your pastor just running on some other kind of thing in his brain. But she turned to him and she goes, "We do have a kissing scene." But she says, "When we kiss, I kiss you. You don't kiss me." That's what she said. <laughs> And Boo said, yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. I will not kiss you. I, just, I can imagine being <laughs> so, That had nothing to do with anything other than, I thought that was a fun part of the story, which he was unwilling to tell you. All right, let's pray. Lord Jesus, just be with us. Lord, help us think about what you thought about. Shatter our paradigms. We want to be shrewd. Jesus, you said it. You be innocent as a dove. Be as shrewd as a serpent. In other words, Satan was always the serpent in Scripture. You be shrewd. He's shrewd. Satan knows who to go after to have the biggest effect. He knows that people are glued to their TVs. You don't think he's going to work through the television. You don't think he's going to... Satan knows how to be shrewd. You be shrewd. Be innocent, but be shrewd. So, Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. It's liberating. It's life-giving. Let's worship. 